Laying Down the Law with Ward Hadaway. Hi, I'm Rachel McBride and today I'm hosting the very first episode of the Laying Down the Law podcast with Ward Hadaway. My special guests today are lawyer Paul Scope, tax accountancy specialist Rachel Matthewson and recruitment specialist Megan Johnson. And today we'll be shedding light on all things IR35, new legislation which comes into effect in April and letting you know all you need in order to prepare. So I'm going to begin by giving a quick overview of what we'll be talking about today and what you can expect to learn. Namely, that changes to the IR35 legislation could affect you or your business if you work as or with contractors or freelancers. But let's turn to our experts for a deep dive into what you need to do to prepare. My name is Megan Johnson. I am a consultant at Nigel Wright. So we are the leading specialist recruitment consultancy in the North East working across multi-disciplines and also heading up um, FMCG and consumer recruitment across Europe. So I head up the interim and contract IT team, um, so I place a lot of limited company contractors across organisations in the North East. And my name's Rachel Matthewson, I work at MHA Tate Walker, I'm an employment tax manager there and at the minute a lot of my job is focusing on helping individuals and businesses to determine if they're going to be affected by the new IR35 rules and assisting them with the, the determinations and processes. And finally we've got Paul. Hi Paul. Hi, I'm Paul Scope. I'm a partner in the employment team at Ward Hadaway and I lead on the IR35 stuff within our team. Perfect. So let's start off um, with a question. In layman's terms, what actually is IR35 and why is it important, these changes in the in the legislation? Can I start with you, Paul? Yeah, so just in layman's terms, IR35, and it actually stands for Inland Revenue uh, Press Release number 35. And that was, it was the 35th press release from 1999. And what it did was it said, in effect, if you pretend to be self-employed to pay less tax but really you should be an employee and employees pay more tax the revenue might look at that and say we think you're an employee and you should have paid more tax and the rules in April are changing who is responsible for deciding that so they the rules in April are saying from April the end user who is using the contractor has to make an assessment as to whether that person should be an employee, really. And from your perspective, Megan, what do you, um, why do you think that IR35 is going to be really important? So from a, from a recruitment perspective, um, we place a lot of limited company contractors and basically what it means is that, in simple terms, contractors who have been working with organisations but actually should be deemed like comparable to permanent employees and acting you know as disguised employees it's changing those rules and, and making sure that if you are found inside you are effectively deemed a permanent employee for tax reasons. In terms of sectors that are most affected the obvious one is is IT and the sectors around that and certainly I'm sure Megan does a lot in in that space 
but in fact there are 170,000 freelancers that this is expected to affect used by 60,000 end user clients and so actually it's all walks of life. Mm -hmm. You get limited company contractors in the public sector, in the private sector, in charities, in law firms, in everywhere and the revenue think a lot of these people should be employees and they're missing out on tax and that's the driver for all of this. Okay. My understanding is that the onus is now going to be on that end user to make sure that their freelancers, if you like, are complying. Is that right? Have I got that right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So the end user, Ill, sorry, the end client will now be responsible for making the determination. So assessing if that individual providing their services through an intermediary uh, is caught by the IR35 rules. So what can people, if you think, if you're a business and you think, or an individual, and you think that this might catch you, that you um, should you know, be doing something about this, what can you actually do? What steps can you take initially to find out, is this going to affect me or not? So the key point is, uh, there's a test. And there's a test to work out whether, in the eyes of the revenue, a person should be deemed to be an employee. And the test is basically, does that person look like an employee when you apply the employment status tests? Uh, and the main factors in the test are mutuality of obligation, which is where one, the company promises to provide work and the person promises to turn up and do the work. Then there's personal service, where a person promises to come and do the work themselves, rather than have their company just provide any old person. Uh, and then there's control, and control's the hardest one because if you control a person, the how, what, where, when they do the work, then they look like an employee. And if you apply that test, and now the end user has to apply the test, if you apply that test and that person looks like an employee, then they should be taxed like an employee. That's the revenue's view, and that's, that's what these rules have always said but now it's shifting the onus on the compliance onto the end user yeah. because the intermediary companies, the personal service companies, they weren't complying in the eyes of the revenue. Yeah. If we talk in layman's terms about the test of who is an employee and who isn't, then what we have are different categories in the law. We have employees, we have workers, and we have self-employed. And the problem here is that people try and put themselves in self-employed uh, bracket to avoid paying as much tax. And if we think about what that means in real life examples, if I ring an electrician to come to my house because uh, some electrics have gone wrong and I ask for it to be fixed, and I say to this lady electrician, will you please come and fix this um, problem in my house? And she says, yeah, I'll have a look. That's going to cost you a thousand pound. I don't control how she does that work. I don't promise her any work beyond that one job, and I don't require her to do it personally. So she decides how it's done. She uses her own equipment, and she might send someone who works for her instead of doing it herself. And so she's not satisfying those tests of mutuality, of obligation, of personal service 
and of control from me. So she's genuinely self-employed. And you contrast that with someone who you might get into your organisation to do a project and that project is ongoing and you control how they work and you pay them by the hour or the day or the week and they get paid regardless of outcome and they get paid really for their labour, not for an outcome. And if you think about the electrician, that electrician got paid for an outcome and they got paid for doing that job and if it took them 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 days, she was only getting that thousand pound. Whereas we've crept into a situation where a lot of people say they're self-employed, but actually they're just being paid for periods of labor and that's not self-employed. I think a recent uh, press release from the government as well stated that they believe that only 10% of contractors who should be applying IR35 and paying the relevant tax and national insurance are actually doing so, so it's quite obvious why why they've made, made the decision to shift the responsibility to clients where hopefully the larger, larger companies will have an understanding of how it works and be able to guide the contractors in the right way. Yeah, and for those companies who might not be aware, where can they go online and kind of, um, is there somewhere they can go and, and take a take a test to, to, to have a look at if it affects them? Yeah, so I think if you're a, if you're a hiring manager or, or somebody in a business that's looking to take on someone on a consultancy basis, you really need to, firstly, if, you, if you're going directly, have a discussion with that consultancy, figure out why you need the resource. Is it that you don't have permanent employees and, and need to fill a gap? Or is it a specific project where you need a specific set of skills um, to hire um, someone on a personal service company? And if you're going through a recruitment agency, just make sure that you use an incredible agency who understands IR35 and can talk you through the next steps or speak to an expert like Paula or Rachel. So talking to, picking up the phone, perhaps talking to your accountant or talking to your, your lawyer about, you know, in the first instance, does this affect me? Should I be concerned about this? They can give you some, some guidance. Yeah, and uh, it, certainly uh, any tax accountant or any employment lawyer who knows this subject should be able to help either the freelancers or the end user user clients. And it's about applying those tests to work out should we be treating this person as an employee and should we be taxing them accordingly and clearly the government has sought to help on this because there is an online tool the checking employment status online tool if you do complete that and it comes back and says that the ir35 rules do not apply to to this engagement make sure you print a copy of that off keep it on your records because hmrc have stated that as long as the information that you input on that tool is accurate, that they will stand by um, the, the decision, that the result that's produced from the tool. If in probably more cases than not, it comes back and says that you are caught by the IR35 rules, and that's where I'd say get some advice, get legal or tax advice. In terms of implications, if you don't get it right, we've heard of cases of very large organisations and certainly large public sector organisations who've been subject to this rule for a few years now being investigated and reaching fairly large financial settlements with the revenue. The revenue normally go out and look at 
particular sectors or large companies rather than picking on a small company but clearly if you get caught flouting tax rules then you need to pay the tax and you might need to pay penalties and you might need to pay interest. Further legislation was actually published yesterday where HMRC advised that transfer of liability provisions will form part of the new IR35 rules. Um, what this means is where you've got a chain of agencies involved, it, even if you fulfil your obligation and pass your status determination statement to the, the next person in the chain, if some one further down the line, an agency doesn't fulfil their obligation and deduct the tax and national insurance, that can actually be transferred, the liability can be transferred back to the first agency in the chain or the end client. Um, so from that, I'd say it's important that you kind of feel comfortable with the agencies that you're contracting with, that they are reliable and, and they will fulfil the obligations. Um, we won't know exactly how the transfer of liability provisions will work in practice and, and how businesses can kind of protect themselves from the transfer of liability until HMRC guidance is issued though. So it's just something to kind of be sceptical about at the minute until yeah. we'll have any further confirmation. I, I think what the revenue has experienced in terms of tax avoidance in this sphere is lots of intermediaries and umbrella companies coming in and setting up some quite extravagant schemes over the years. Uh, we've seen two decades really of quite innovative non-compliance with these rules. And some of that innovative non-compliance is absolutely okay and it's within the law and some of it isn't. And the revenue don't really have the resources to be out there checking everyone. And that's why they're putting the onus on the end user to check for the revenue. And equally, like Rachel says, they're bringing in this flexible legislation so they can decide who they think's at fault. So if there's a chain of eight or ten companies and somewhere along the line it's all a scheme to avoid tax, they might look and decide where does the fault lie. And clearly that just shows why it's important to be working with reputable agencies okay. like Megan and Nigel Wright. <laughs> Absolutely. And one thing I would just add is when we're speaking to contractors who are potentially taken inside IR35 contracts is that they're using compliant umbrella companies. So when, when we say compliant, we mean FCA regulated. We always have an approved list and we always check and vet the umbrella companies that we use and also any recruitment agencies that you talk to should be clued up on IR35 and, and should be able to, to give you advice. And if you don't feel comfortable, please find another agency. So if you um, were to each give um, some top tips to people who are potentially going to be affected by IR35, what is it that they need to know? Paul, I'll start with you. I think you need to act now. It's fast approaching and I don't think it'll change. And so I think you need to be looking at this now. And in all likelihood, you probably need to be taking some advice from someone like me or someone like Rachel you need to have in place a system if you're the end user to work out if you think each person is should be an employee or not or if they're genuinely self-employed and then a procedure to pass that determination down the line you need to make sure whoever is paying the contractor the intermediary applies the right level of tax and you need to have procedures so that individuals can challenge your findings 
if you determine they're self-employed. Also, if you're looking at things now, you've got time to implement changes. So you could make changes to contracts that you have with contractors and the working arrangements that you have, which could result in the arrangement falling outside of the IR35 rules. Regular reviews, you need to be taking regular reviews of uh, any arrangements you have in place, of the determinations that you've got. I'd recommend that you're reviewing all of your arrangements at least every six months um, and as services, pro projects, requirements change, you need to be rechecking the rules, see if they apply and reissuing status determination statements if applicable. My, um, my key top tip would just be engagement on all, across all parties. So what I've found to be working really well with some of my clients who are having this challenge at the moment is the end clients are sitting down with their contractors well in advance and discussing the CES tool, discussing the findings and discussing potential routes ahead, like Paul and Rachel have said. And I think as long as you have that communication and you don't leave it till the last minute, um, I think that I've found that that's you know helping um, with the people I currently have on registered with Nigel Wright. I think the other thing is there is a lot of fear around IR35 amongst many, many people um, who are going to be affected. But if you don't understand, reach out, learn about it before it's too late. Don't, you know, make blanket approaches or blanket assessments. Just find out the facts and make, a, make an appropriate decision from there. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming in today and um, talking to us about, about this. Um, I think that's shed a whole load of light on quite a complex subject from a lot of different points of view. So thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Laying Down the Law is presented by me, Rachel McBride, and edited by Bridget Hamilton. Today, my guests were Paul Scope, Megan Johnson and Rachel Matthewson. To find out more about IR35, Ward Hadaway has lots of great advice over at www.wardhadaway.com.